right. How's everybody doing today? Welcome. Good to see you. If you're with me, just let's start right together and say, I'm with you. Okay, man, wasn't that worship awesome? Uh, team, hopefully you can hear me back there, but thank you guys for leading us into God's presence. It's always good to come and to worship the Lord among God's people. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at our Liberty Hill location. Uh, right after the service, I'll be briefly at our guest suite, which is at the top of the stairs to the left. And then after this service, we're going to be having something called Membership U. We've got a great lunch set up. It's actually going to happen right behind this curtain here. And if you're new to our church and you're thinking about maybe making this church your church, you want to learn a little more about what we believe, where we came from, why we do what we do, how we do what we do, this is a great opportunity for you to come to learn a little more. And guess what? It doesn't matter if you didn't register. We ordered enough food for plenty of extra people. We got child care taken care of and food for them. So basically you're without excuse. Uh, if you, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great opportunity for you to stick around, hang out with us and learn a little bit more about our church. I hope to see you there. Today we are in week six of a series called Run to Win, Run to Win. We've been kind of looking at the six big areas of life and how we can actually win in those areas. Let me give you our key passage for this series and then we'll get into it for a minute. Uh, some of you may have this memorized by now. That would actually be a good thing. So if the redundancy is bothered, just you can say it with me if you'd like. Here we go. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything they do to receive a perishable crown. But we, an imperishable crown. So I don't run like anyone who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That is what this series is all about. Just to recap for you, if you missed a week, in week one, we talked about uh, spiritual health, which is the foundational aspect of our life. If you're not healthy in your spirit, it's going to be tough to be healthy anywhere else for very long. In week two, we talked about physical health. I mean, no, you got to use your body to do what God's called us to do. And so you got to take care of that thing so it'll last. Week three, we talked about our financial stewardship and honoring God, winning with the resources that God has given us. Week four, we talked about managing our emotions and how to submit those to the word of God. Last week, we had a guest speaker here in Liberty Hill, uh, but our message series continued. We sent an email to you to listen if you'd like uh, to Pastor Stephen talk about mental health. And today, Today, we're going to talk about what's probably my favorite topic, um, which means it may be a little long, so buckle up. But my favorite topic is relational health, relational health. And here's why. Our relationships are crucial to us being able to be and do who God's called us to be and do what he's called us to do. Uh, I'll say it this way. I really believe this. Our effectiveness at relating to each other oftentimes is the lid to which our usefulness is in the kingdom of God. All right, so Jesus is building a family made of people. Jesus died for people. If we can't relate well to people, God's going to have a tough time using us to build his kingdom. And that's why all of this matters. All of this matters. How many of you have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? Just a few hands. I just kind of know who I'm talking about. Uh, hopefully I don't give you too many spoilers, but my family and I had an opportunity to go see that with some friends yesterday. I was very moved by it. <clears throat> I don't encourage a lot of movies from the platform, but I will encourage that one. Definitely go see it if you get the opportunity. But there was a few things about it as I'm watching it, and I'm thinking about today's message. And there's a scene in the movie where all these people come to 
uh, to the water to be baptized. They're giving their life to Jesus by the thousands. And it is absolutely incredible to watch. I'm not going to lie to you because uh, somebody here was sitting next to me in the room and they know that I was ugly crying. Like, and my daughter's sitting here. So Shelby's over here. She's handing me more napkins. Ellie's looking at me the other side going, why are you crying? I'm like, pay attention. Why aren't you crying too? This is incredible, you know. And, uh, and so we're watching this whole thing happen. But the thing is, we can get to moments and we can kind of see that. We're like, man, I want to see all these people come to know Jesus. And that's awesome. I hope all of you feel that way. But there were some crucial scenes earlier in the movie that actually precipitated that event and set it up. And one of those is where a guy by the name of Lonnie Frisbee sitting at the kitchen table with Pastor Chuck Smith, and he's telling Chuck, hey man, you guys don't know how to relate to the people out there. What you have isn't a Jesus problem, you have a relationship problem. You don't know how to relate, and I want to help you relate so that we can reach people, right? And then a few scenes later, uh, all these hippies are hanging out in Chuck Smith's house, and his wife tells him maybe you should suggest that they uh, find somewhere else to live instead of our living room. And so he's, he's going out there about ready to have that uncomfortable conversation, and then they're all just playing music, and he sits down, and you just sort of watch it happen where he takes it all in, and I know, and he's sitting there thinking, I've got to do a better job of relating to these people that I want to reach. And so as I'm watching that movie and I'm thinking about today, I'm just going, man, that's us. Like, I want to see thousands give their life to Jesus. I want to reach our community for Jesus. But I also want us in this church who God is going to use to reach people in our community to know how to relate well, first with each other inside the family of faith, and then also with those outside so that we ourselves can be a good witness for Jesus in this world. How many would like to do that? You'd like to be able to relate well and expand God's kingdom. Yeah, so it's imperative that we do our part, but we have to do it well. So today, what I want to get into is actually biblical wisdom, biblical wisdom for relational health. So I'm going to do this in three components. One, we're going to talk about communication. How many like to be a better communicator? Let me see your hand. All right, like seven of y'all. Okay, that's a, I preach in a seven. Uh, the rest of you, you can give me your notes at the end of this and uh, teach me. The others of you, now who wants me to be a better communicator? Yeah, now you can raise your hand for something. There you go. All right, we're going to talk about communication. Then we're going to talk, second, about conflict resolution, which is something no one comes out knowing how to do. It's not easy, but it's absolutely important. And then third, we're going to talk about setting some boundaries that are important to re- maintain uh, relational health. So here we go. Biblical wisdom for relational health. Number one, we're going to talk about effective communication. Now, just to kind of, I think we all know what we mean when we say communication, but just to make sure we're on the same page and I'm communicating well, here's what we mean. We talk about communication. We're talking about conveying thoughts, ideas, and feelings to others, and then also understanding what's coming back at us, the thoughts, feelings, ideas that others are bringing back our direction. And the Bible has a lot to say about this, but I want to kind of set three scriptures into the background of this conversation, and then we'll dig in deeper. First of all, Colossians 4, 6 says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Well, that's tough, but that's the call. That's the standard. James 1.19 says, understand this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. How many ever screwed that one up? I have plenty of times. Talking too fast, talking too loud, wasn't listening good enough, and now I'm in a problem because we just violated what James. If we would just listen to James, man, life would go a lot better for us. All right, and Proverbs 51 tells us this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. That is also hard because usually the moment that demands a gentle answer is the one you don't want to give a gentle answer to. 
if somebody's coming at you and they're not being very gentle. And now you got to try to figure out how to give this back. But if we can do it by the Spirit of God while still speaking truth and love, we will be more effective witnesses. All right, so with that, with communication, I want to give you eight practices of effective communication. Practices. These are things you can actually do to help your communication go better. All right, number one, practice active listening. This means paying full attention to someone who's talking to you. If you're just now looking at your phone, I'm assuming you're taking notes on that thing. It's all good. I know you're paying attention and you're with me. No shame on you. But when you're talking to someone, eye contact, body language, being fully engaged with them is actually important if you want to communicate well. By the way, if you don't have time to talk with someone right now, respect them enough just to tell them. I actually can't talk to you right now. I can't talk to you about this right now. I can talk to you at this time or at that time. And sometimes that's uncomfortable and that's awkward. But if we've got three people trying to talk to us at once and you're trying to split time, nobody's leaving that conversation happy. You know what I'm saying? So we'll talk about boundaries in a minute. But be willing to say, I can't actually talk to you right now. Or just don't pick up the phone. Don't feel obligated if you don't have time. But when you decide to engage in a conversation with someone, Give them yourself in that conversation. Number two, practice reflective listening. I cannot emphasize how important this is if you want to have clear communication with someone. In marriage counseling, when I do it, this is always key to having crucial conversations. Now, you don't have to do this and everything. Hey, how's the weather today? I think you can understand what that question means and you can tell them the weather is beautiful. But if you're having a crucial conversation about things of the heart and someone takes the time to lay something out for you, here's a good tip for you. It goes something like this. Thanks for sharing that with me. What I think I heard you say is, and repeat back to them what you think you heard them say, and then ask this question, have I understood you correctly? Just doing that will help you know if you're even having the right conversation. So many times we say stuff to somebody, and then they say something back, not based on what we intended to say, but what they heard us say, and now we're having two different conversations. We're both getting frustrated. You're not listening. No, you're not listening. You never listen, and we've got a big problem on our hands that can all be avoided by reflective listening. Very, very important. Someone in the first service told me you should have had nine instead of eight. You talk to people about listening to remember. That's really good, too. And by the way, practicing reflective listening will help you remember later on what people have said to you in important conversations. Number three, this is, I'll go through this one quick, but when you come, use I statements instead of you statements. Instead of you do this, you make me feel this way. No, I feel this way. You're in charge of your feelings. Someone else may contribute to the environment, but you're a grown person. You're responsible for your feelings. I feel this way when XYZ occurs. All right, this will help you if you can start with that. I feel this. I experience this when these things happen. Number four, Avoid interrupting. Avoid interrupting. Let the other person speak before you, 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 before you talk back. How many of you have been like in mid-sentence and someone thinks they know what you're about to say and then they begin to respond to you before you're done? <coughs> yeah, all right, a lot of hands. I need a water real quick. Let me just grab this. It will go better for you and for me uh, if we have this here. Interrupting people while they talk is a surefire way to make sure you have a very bad conversation. No one likes that. No one likes that. It costs you nothing to just exercise a little patience and let someone finish talking. Number five, acknowledge nonverbal communication. This is a little bit like uh, active listening, but you're, you're, you're looking too. Like you're not just giving them eye contact and using your body language, but you're watching theirs. We're human beings, which means we communicate with a lot more than just our mouth, right? We're talking with our eyes. I talk with my hands a lot. I'm walking around pacing. There's things that we do when we have conversations with people that communicate more 
than just what is being said. And if you want to effectively communicate with someone, pay attention to all of that. And you'll actually glean more of the meaning of what they try to give you. Number six, this one is huge. Seek to understand, all right? Seek to understand from someone else's perspective. Here's what this sounds like. I can see how you might feel that way. I can understand why you might think about it like that. And here's why this one gets people in trouble. We sometimes think that we have to actually agree with someone to even validate their perspective. So therefore, we just reject it altogether and we telegraph, sometimes more than telegraph, we just outright tell them, I don't get you. I don't understand you. And it's not because you can't actually put yourself in their shoes and comprehend it. It's just because you think they're wrong and you don't want to give in on that. You don't want to come to agreement with what you think is wrong. But I'll tell you, learning how to agree to disagree but maintain real relationship with people will be a lot easier if you can learn how to get into their shoes and go, you know what, from your perspective, I can see how you might feel that way. I can understand how you might think that way. I don't come to the same conclusions you do, and I'm willing to agree to disagree, but I don't think you're crazy for feeling how you feel. I just feel differently. I just think differently. And then you can agree to disagree. And when you do that, the person you're talking to knows that you have at least understood them and cared enough about them as a person to validate where they're coming from, even if you can't validate where they land. This happens all the time, by the way, in evangelism and trying to tell people about Jesus. And they're like, yeah, but I see the world this way. Yeah, I understand how you could see it that way. If I was in your shoes, I might see it that way too. But I see it this way because of X, Y, Z. It's not, you're crazy, how could you ever think that? I know how you could think that. I might think that too if I were you, but I'm not. And this is what I've experienced, the realness of God, blah, blah, blah. This is an evangelism class, so I'm going to stop there. But this happens a lot, and it's a reason that sometimes we struggle to share our faith because we don't know how to understand where people are coming from, validate it, but still then give back to them the truth that we have lived. All right, number seven. Hopefully I'm doing this so far. Be clear and concise. Maybe not the last part. Brevity is not a gift of mine. You're welcome. But when you're in an important conversation, be, be clear and be concise. There are some tools that you can use to do this. There's something that we use in our, in our, in our church organization to help sort of frame conversations. It's something called SBAR. I didn't put this in the notes because it just occurred to me right now um, that, that I could tell you about this. But it's really great. If you're coming to someone about a crucial conversation or something you need to talk about, the, the S bar, it stands for, S stands for situation, B stands for background, A stands for assessment, R stands for recommendation. If you have a crucial conversation, think through, man, what do I need this person to know about where I'm coming from? What do I think about where we are? And what's my recommendation about how we move forward? Even in your marriage, I use this framework for conversations with my wife all the time. Let me think about this. What's the background first? What's the real deal? How, do, how am I assessing this? And what do I think we should do about it? What, then you can kick the ball to their court. Now, what do you think, right? Be clear and be concise. Make bullet points if you need to. I told a story in the first service about my son Asher. And I won't go too deep into it, but school year before last, so he's a freshman in college this year, but as he was going into his senior year, there was some conflict with uh, the school district that he was in. So the summer, as you may recall, of 2021, uh, Governor Abbott issued exe an executive order <clears throat> saying that schools could not mandate masks anymore. You remember that? When that came out, they said you can't make kids wear masks. Well, then some of the school districts said, well, we're going to still have a mask requirement. And he says, well, now i got a conflict. i got a governor telling me I don't have to and a superintendent telling me that I do. I need to go have a conversation with this guy. So he schedules a meeting with the superintendent. And I sat down with him. What are you going to say? I don't know what I'm going to say. I know how I feel. I think all these things. And he's, you know, <clears throat> he's, he's, he's great, but he's all over the map. I said, hey, let's map this out. Let's map out the conversation. Let's make some bullet points. <clears throat> Sometimes when you're going into a crucial conversation, actually planning, like literally writing down. These are the things that are important. I want to talk about this. 
this, this, and this can help you. Because when you get in the heat of the moment, how many know? Emotions take over, your brain shuts down and stops, and now you're just emotionally responding. And you miss half of the things that you needed to bring to bear in that conversation. And now the whole thing just turns into a big bucket of, gar- bucket of garbage. And it doesn't accomplish what you needed it to accomplish. So in this situation, he showed up, gave the bullet points. Uh, kudos to the superintendent who practiced reflective listening and sought to understand. I understand how you might feel that way. And he got his mask exemption. I wish they would have gave one to everybody. I think now they did. But it went well because he was, he was prepared for that conversation. Now, I've given you all these things. You're like, yeah, 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 that's awesome. But you don't know about my friend Sammy. <clears throat> you don't know about this person over here. If your name's Sammy in here, I'm not talking about you. I'm trying to just, I don't know anyone in here by that name. All right. You don't know this person. You don't know that person. There's all these Things that this person does, and I've tried all of this, Pastor Nate, and none of it works. Well, here's what Paul has to say about that. Romans 12, 18. If possible, everybody say possible. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, how many know there's some people don't want to be at peace with you? They don't want to be at peace with anybody. They just sort of exist to fight with everything, everybody. All they do is complain, pick at, whatever. There's some people who live that way. There are people that you are never going to be able to make peace with. By the way, there's a difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Let's be peacemakers. But sometimes you cannot make peace with someone because they refuse to make peace with you. And at that point in time, when you reach that point, sometimes all you can do is say, hey, the way I'm going to be at peace with you is at a distance. We're going to be at peace with each other by not actually talking to each other. And sometimes that happens. It's kind of sad when that happens, but it, but it, but it does happen. And it happens, <clears throat> it happens when people aren't committed to living out godly wisdom in their relationships. It also happens when people don't know how to deal with conflict. And that's a big problem. Like I said earlier, you don't come out of the womb knowing how to deal with conflict. When my wife and I, she's not in here, uh, so now I can pick on her a little bit more. Um, She was in the first service giving it back to me just a little bit. But when we first got married, thank you, Lights. When we first got married, we had no idea what we were doing with conflict. And and we also approached it very differently. I, I, this may come as a surprise to you, I wanted to fight every single battle. My wife, on the other hand, she wanted to fight exactly zero battles. <laughs> she wanted, I don't want to fight about that. I don't want to talk about that. Can we talk about that later? Actually, can we talk about that? Never. I have no interest in discussing this thing that you're so uh, excited about right now. And, and we had to learn through great difficulty how to actually talk about the right things and how to fight fair. I mean, there's a, there's a right way and a wrong way to fight. So you can fight to, 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 to get something right or you can fight to be right, for example. Those are two very different things. I, I oftentimes, early in marriage, I was fighting to be right. And finally, we both learned how to fight to try to get it right. And that became productive conversation. But if you don't know what to do with conflict, and you don't know how to resolve conflict in a biblical way, you're never going to have long, steady, consistent relationships. And more importantly than that, your witness for Jesus is going to be deteriorated and damaged over time. Your testimony gets ruined. So let's look at it. Number two, conflict resolution. Jesus had a few things to say about this. I want to look at it. It comes from Matthew chapter 18. Beginning in verse 15, he says this, if your brother sins, I mean, I don't want to change the Bible, but come on, it should say when your brother sins. It's not if, it's when someone is going to sin against you. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. Say alone. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony 
two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Oh, isn't Jesus sweet? So sweet. I love sweet Jesus. Let him be like a Gentile or a tax collector. Let's break this down. What is he saying? First of all, if your brother sins against you, you have to understand, did your brother even sin against you? So number one, identify the problem. Like, what is the actual conflict, right? I was talking with someone on the phone last week. They were super mad about someone else. And I'm listening, and they're going on and on. And it's none of it's making sense. And finally, I asked this person, I said, what did this other person actually do that you think is wrong? I spent 10 minutes listening, someone talk in circles, and I could not discern what the thing was. Identify the problem for me. I don't even know what we're talking about right now, right? Once we identify the problem, then we can deal with it. So often, man, we fight the wrong fight. And men, if you were in our men's session at Away Together, sorry about that. If you're in our men's session at Away Together, you heard Pastor John talk about this. Men in particular, listen, we're we're wired to fight. There's something inside of us that needs to fight. And here's the problem. If we don't know what the right fight is, we'll just pick the wrong one. And sometimes because we're weak and short-sighted and a lot of other bad things, we pick fights with the person who loves us most, our wife, when really we need to be fighting the devil every day when we get up. You know what I'm saying? We pick the wrong fight instead of the right one. But not fighting is really not an option for most men. But, but sometimes when you get into this, you got to figure out what is the fight with this person and decide is there really an offense here? But sometimes there is. Sometimes someone's been talking about you. Sometimes someone's betrayed your trust or they've said things that are untrue. Some kind of offense comes up, and now you've got to deal with it. So once you figure that out, what does Scripture say? It says this, number two, address the issue privately. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him. Does it say go talk to three other people first? It's not a trick question. The answer is no, it does not. It does not. Does it say go process all your feelings with your girlfriends first? No, it does not. Does it say go out to the firing range, shoot a bunch of targets, and then gripe about your wife to all your buddies? No, it does not. It says go first between the two of you. Now, I want to be real clear. I'm not talking about issues where there's a real threat of physical harm or danger. There are some people who engage in domestic violence, and I understand that you can't you can't go to those people. And there are some things and situations that are different. That's not what we're talking about right here. We're talking about the vast majority of conflict that occurs between two people that needs to be solved. And we go have the wrong conversations instead of the right conversations. Go to someone first before you go talk to anybody else. Now, if that doesn't work, Jesus says, hey, okay, if he doesn't listen, well, then go get one or two others involved. Does it say get ten others involved? The answer is no. You can talk back to me. Does it say get your small group involved? No. Does it say get your whole serve team involved? No. Does it say get your whole neighborhood's Facebook page involved? No. I I love neighborhood Facebook pages. We actually have a pretty good one. A guy in our church makes it fun. Thank you for keeping ours fun all the time. It's pretty awesome. But when we have an offense with someone, those are not the places to go. We go to one or two people. And by the way, be careful when you start thinking about who are the people that I want to drag into this. Because there are some people, the tendency is I want to go talk to the person who's going to agree with me no matter what I say. That's who we all want to go to. I know they're going to be on my side, so that's who I'm bringing to this fight, right? The person who's got my back, I might have just done something really terrible, you know, and they're going to always have my back. That's not who you want to go to. You want to go to someone who's wise, who's judicious, who's righteous, and is going to actually help bring about a righteous resolution to your problem. While we're kind of talking in some marriage context, this really isn't a marriage message at all, but there are some really important things that relate to your marriage. Let me tell you this. Men, I hope your wives don't get upset with me for saying this, but... 
But man, be very careful about what relational problems you process with your wife about somebody else. Because she loves you and she's going to take your side. And listen, I, I've had a lot of stuff with men and we work through it and we're good. But I have a, I have a hard time getting my wife good again. Because I've now thrown it all into her lap. And she loves me. And she's loyal. So, you know, I, my friend Andrew's sitting here on the front row. If me and Andrew get into it, I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to bring my wife in as that person. I'm going to go grab another strong man and say, hey, let's go talk to him. Because I don't, I don't want her to have a thing towards him that we get past, but she never does. So you got to kind of be careful. Now, I'm not talking about being secretive or being dishonest or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, pick the right person to step in and to help you actually solve an issue. And make sure you're bringing someone who's going to be able to get over it when you do. All right? Get over it when you do. Okay, moving on. Number four, you've gone to them. You brought a couple of wise people, righteous people. It's still not working. Then it says, bring it to the church. Bring it before the church. Now, we're not going to be doing open mic session up here where you can come and just talk about it. Uh, We're going to frame this in the context of church leaders. It does make me sad sometimes that I'll hear about, and this has happened several times in ministry where months have passed since there was massive conflict, people gave up on each other, they quit. Somebody, I'm like, man, I hadn't seen somebody for a while. Where are they? Oh, yeah, they got into it with so-and-so, and they couldn't get on the same page, and they just left the church. So I'm like, man, why didn't I hear about this? I, I, I would have loved to be able to help them. Now, hear me. I'm not asking to be pulled into all of your conflict. I don't actually want to, and I don't have time for that. But there are some things where you go, I need to get someone involved. And so myself, our serve team directors, our local elders, our ministers here, that's what we're for. So before you give up on something with somebody, just because you and maybe you and a couple friends haven't been able to work it out, give the church a chance to help. Come and ask for help and let us get involved. And just know we're going to bring the Bible with us. We're going to do it God's way or we're not going to do it at all. And then we'll get in and we'll try to help you. And I think you'll see that things will get better. Now, if you do all of that, if you do all of that and it doesn't work, sweet Jesus comes back and says, regard them as a tax collector or a Gentile. And this is tough. And I hate it when this happens. But here's the deal. Not everyone's ready to work through everything every time. Pride is a nasty thing. And some people will get so hung up on being right. I'm not going to give an inch to this person that they could not buy an ounce of humility with all the money in the world. It's sad, but some people end up there. Some people end up there. When that happens, sometimes the best thing you can do is to bless them and release them and be at peace with them from a distance. By the way, the other thing I'll say is that this is usually true, especially in the church, in marriages, where there's Christian people together. If someone says they love Jesus, they love God's word, they want to live by God's word, but they can't ever get to a point of resolving conflict with someone, the truth of the matter is there's usually a divisive spirit involved somewhere there. A divisive spirit's in in the mix. And... And hear me when I say this. A divisive spirit will wreak havoc on every relationship, on every group, on every church. And I'll just tell you now, as your pastor, I have a lot of grace for a lot of people. Man, I've made so many mistakes. Every time I just thank God, all the things you forgive me of and save me from and help me with, I have a lot of grace for a lot of people. But I tell you, what I have very little patience for is a divisive person inside the church who can't seem to ever get things right with anyone in the church. And let me tell you, Titus was dealing with this. And he's talking to Paul, and Paul writes him and says, Hey, Titus, let me tell you what to do with a divisive person in your midst. 
Here we go, Titus 3, 10 through 11. This is such warm, gushy, good feeling stuff. Here you go, Titus 3, 10 and 11. <clears throat> Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning, for you know that such a person has gone astray, is sinning, and he is self-condemned. This, this is a passage is discussing the importance of addressing and resolving conflicts inside of church family. And here's what it's for. It's actually meant to encourage unity and peace. He's saying this is a really big, big deal. So if someone is being divisive in your midst, have a little grace, warn them once. Happens again. Hey, man, I know we talked about this before, but we got to fix this. Happens a third time, brother, we may have to love you from the outside for a while. I know that sounds real harsh. And I'm not talking about if someone is repentant and they're like, man, I'm sorry. I want to, let's get better. Let's resolve it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the pride filled. I'm not giving an inch on anything here. I don't care what you say. I don't care who you are. This is just the way it is. You eventually hit a wall. And as a pastor, just so you know, I'll hold that line for you because I love you. And I want to protect and preserve the unity, the bond of peace that happens here. All right, so with all of that, so we've talked about that. We've talked about how to listen well. We've talked about conflict resolution. Let's talk for a second about healthy boundaries. It all really starts with Romans 12.2 and how we look at things. It says this, Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And what is good, and what is acceptable, and what is perfect. So you and I, we have to test some things sometimes to decide if we want to partner with it. I'm inviting you to membership you so you can come, come and test us and decide. This is a healthy place that I want to be a part of. Let's talk about it, right? But this is what the Bible is saying. Sometimes we have to exercise wisdom. Did you know that everything is not only right or wrong? Everything is not only black or white. There are many things that are, hear me, many, many things. But there are some things that are not. For example, some of you, you may have a liberty about watching, uh, having a television in your home. Let's just say, start with that. Just having a TV in your home. You may think, okay, it's all right. I can watch some stuff. I'm not going to. Some of you may think, I saw a sign one time that said, Sony, bringing the world into your home. And I don't want the world in my home, so I'm not going to have a TV in my home. And some people have that. You can have that. That's not a right or a wrong. That's a wisdom decision. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.12, everything's permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Again, this is a type of boundary. There are some of you who battle with alcoholism in your past. You don't need to go to the bar to try to minister to people. It's not going to be a good place for you. Someone else may have no trouble having one drink with someone, connecting with them, and moving on. And that works just fine for them. This is where you have to exercise wisdom and set proper boundaries for your life. And this is not easy. As a relational pastor, listen, sometimes it's hard for me to, to institute relational boundaries even when I know that they're right. I mean, <clears throat> first of all, I, I, I believe in Christian liberty, but I'm not going to take all liberties. I'm going to try to be wise about who I'm with. Before I do something, go somewhere, participate in something, I'm trying to think through, is my participation in this going to be beneficial for me, for the other people, and is it going to glorify God? If we just pause and like ask that question, just that question, is where I'm about to go, what I'm about to do, who I'm about to hang out with, is this going to be beneficial for me, beneficial for you, and glorify God? If we just did that, we would save ourselves so much heartache. Because the answer becomes evident about whether we should or should not. The boundary lines just become clear when we ask the right questions. Now, Christians, Christian leaders, those of us who proclaim Jesus, we could save ourselves a lot of trouble if we just did that. We just did that. Now, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness and what fellowship 
does light have with darkness? This could be, we're talking about marriage, talking about dating, talking about music, talking about business relationships, even some church people, right? Our people that we met in our church, we have to think about, is this a relationship where I'm going to be equally yoked? That can inform boundaries that you need to set. All right, so I'm going to close in just a minute, but let me give you quickly some tips for setting healthy boundaries. First of all, you have to set limits on how much time and energy you give to other people. Did you know that not everyone in your life is actually equal? I know this goes against the whole equity, all that. Not everyone in your life is equal. Let me help you. My wife is more important to me than any of you. I love you. I'll spend time with you. But she's going to get more of me than probably all of y'all combined. (laughs) And that's just the way it is. It's not going to change, right? Some people are more important. Some relationships are more important. God, then spouse, then kids, then work, church, friends, all of this stuff. You have to establish kind of a hierarchy for how you spend your time, how you spend your money, where you give your emotional energy and your mental energy to. And there has to be some racking and stacking of the relationships that God has said are most important, right? Now, some of you right now are dying because you have no relational boundaries and you think you owe something to everyone. And you think you owe the same of you to everyone. First of all, you can't. Second of all, you shouldn't. That's not God's design for your life. Healthy boundaries and knowing who to give what to will help you. There are people that I have to limit my time with. No one in this room, of course. But there are people I have to limit my time with. Because all I do is complain. It takes 10 times the energy to deal with that than it does to give life to someone who wants to go, who wants to run and look, looking for a little help. Let's go. Now, hear me. I, I'm not trying to be mean about it. I'll, I'll spend time with anybody. But there is an amount, like an energy meter and a time meter of how much can I give to this? What, what fruit is it going to produce? And that is not mean. I, lo- I am a relational person. But all of us should do this. We should all evaluate our lives this way and live accordingly. All right, number two. Once you've decided what your boundaries are, communicate them clearly. You don't have to be mean about it. But just communicate it. I, I've gotten to the point where I really don't mind just telling people, um, no, I'm, I'm meeting with my wife right now. I'm meeting with my family right now. You know, yesterday we just cleared the calendar. It was hiking and bowling and movie watching, and we just did stuff with the family. Had some other people wanting me to go play golf. Nope. Why, are you busy? Yeah, I've got very important appointments today. It was with my wife. It was with my kids. It's just what I do. It's what I'll tell them. I'm not perfect at it. I'm learning the hard way. But you can actually do that. I now schedule my family time like it's on my Google calendar and you're not getting it. (laughs) You're just not because I give it to them. So I can communicate that with you. I can communicate that with them. All right. It's okay to do that. Hopefully I'm giving you some permission to to decide. And listen, sometimes you have to exercise wisdom. We had, again, I referenced the marriage retreat again, but on Friday night of the event, I was. I was feeling a little pulled in three different directions. It's Friday. The thing's over. I know people are there. I'm like, well, there's... These people in the lobby I'd like to connect with. These people are going out to dinner I'd like to connect with. Oh, by the way, I'm the pastor, so I get, maybe it's my job to do that. And then I got my wife who's like, no, nah, I want to go back to the room and just connect with you. I mean, no, wisdom prevailed, and I went with her. You know what I'm saying? So there, was, there were three places that I, I wanted to be, but there was one place I wanted to be more. I had a priority. I had a hierarchy. And it was to my benefit to exercise that wisdom in that moment, all right? So don't be afraid to set boundaries. Remember, it's loving to set boundaries. You can love people, and you can love them well and still set boundaries. Number three, be considerate. So hopefully when I teach y'all stuff in here, it actually shows up in your life. So I'm expecting as you do relationships with people in this room and in this church, you're going to bump into their boundaries. When you do, man, be be 
be respectful of those, of those boundaries. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. When someone sets a boundary, guess what? Just honor it. It's not that hard. Now, if you're in close relationship, like discipleship relationship, and people will do this too. So I'm going to speak to this for a second. Because some of y'all that love your time and your boundaries, you're like, yeah, let's say some more about it. Some people will set up boundaries actually as an excuse or a, or a barrier to get in too close proximity with someone who's going to help them grow because they don't actually want the challenge of the growth. So they'll set boundaries. Now, if I got a relationship with you and I go, man, you know what? Like, I, I can sit down with you and say, I, I've been watching for three months and I think you're actually using this whole boundaries thing as an excuse to, to keep from growing. You don't want to meet with the right people. You don't want to work on the right things. And you just boundaries, boundaries, boundaries all the time. You, you can do that. But if, that's, if you're not in that kind of relationship with someone, don't go there. And if it's not something like that, just respect it. If somebody can't come to your thing, don't give them a guilt trip about it. If they don't return your phone call fast enough, respect that they're busy. And they, they, if, they, if you know they love you, just tell yourself, yeah, they love me. They'll get to me when they can. Not every text has to be responded to in the same moment that it's sent. Here, let me give some more permission. Not every text has to be responded to the day that it's sent. Did you know that? Your phone is like for your convenience, not for everyone else's to access you, right? It's okay to set boundaries. It's okay to set boundaries. And if people don't like them, so what? Set the boundaries that you need for your own health, for your own family, for your own relationships. And then hold to them. And learn to say, number four, learn to say yes or no. In case I haven't been clear all along, this is all it is. It's just say yes or just say no. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 37, let your yes <clears throat> mean yes. Let your no mean no. Any more than this is from the evil one. He's dealing with a few things here. One is honesty, integrity. Don't say yes if you mean no. Don't say no if you mean yes. But also, like, it can be that simple. Hey, can you get involved in XYZ? No, I can't. Why not? I, I got my boundaries. I got stuff I got to do. You don't owe everyone an explanation for every single thing. Sometimes a relationship does deserve context and sometimes it doesn't. But just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Listen, here's the deal. As I begin to close. I know I'm a little over. I warned you ahead of time, so I hope you're okay. And if you're hungry, we've got food on site. You don't even have to leave. So, all right, here. As we pursue relational health, here's the thing we have to remember. As we pursue relational health and we do our part, we have to remember why all this matters. Listen, you and me are called to reflect the light of Christ to a world that is on their way to help. There is a lost and dying world out there. People have lost their minds in this world. And we are called to be Jesus with skin onto them. We are called to love people well. We are called to shine the light. We are called to rescue. We are called to preach the gospel, the good news. We are called to love the world around us as Christ has first loved us. And hear me, I don't care how many Christian slogans you put on Instagram. I don't care how many Christian t-shirts you wear. I don't care if you have a pretty cross around your neck. By the way, why don't we ever have those at the empty tomb? That's even better news. But I don't care if you have a cross around your neck. Sometimes Some people need to eat that cross and get it in their heart and forget about wearing it as jewelry. Because Jesus went to that cross for people who are going to split hell wide open if you and me don't do this right and love them well and care about them enough to put the work and the effort in to have good enough relationships, to have credibility to say, hey man, Jesus loves you and so do I. And what you're doing isn't working. Let me help. Let him help. That's why all of this matters. If you want to see people come to know Jesus, you've got to learn to relate to them well. And even more importantly, 
inside here, inside spiritual family, we have got to do this well. The testimony of Jesus depends on it. My last scripture, and I'll close with this. We think about the commandments. We always think about the Ten Commandments. But Jesus said in the Last Supper that we remembered earlier when we received communion, I'm giving you a new commandment. And here it is. To love one another. Just as I have loved you. Now think about everything he did when he says, just as I have loved you. And he knows he's walking out of that dinner to a garden to be arrested and thrown on a Roman cross to be made a mockery in front of everyone for the people he's talking to. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. And by this, he says, by this, not by your statuses, not by your good advice, definitely not by your jewelry. I'm not picking on cross necklaces. My son has them, I love them. It's not by those things the world will know that you're his disciples. He says this, by this, by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you that you came to this earth, perfect, sinless, shameless God made man. And that you did it for us. You made a better way. And Lord, though you may save us personally, you didn't save us privately. You haven't called us to walk into a desert and be alone with you for the rest of our lives. You said you're building a family. You said there's gonna be eyes and mouthpieces and hands and feet and heads and hearts and all of these things. You've called us to one another. Lord, I thank you that even the justification that took place on the cross wasn't just about our sin that separated us from you, but it was what separated us from your people, from the family that you were building. And that through your death, burial, and resurrection, a new way of life has been made. But Lord, we know that life involves us loving one another. And at the end of the day, that's what relational health is all about. So Lord, would you help us now by your spirit to love you well, to love others well, to represent you well to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.